The Course of Life podcast is brought to you by Desert Fox Golf. They've been friends of this show since the very beginning, and they're the makers of the phone caddy and the Swing 8 Tumbler. They make a wide variety of products that you can even slap your own logo on, which makes it fantastic for your corporate golf event or party. You can give it away as swag and uh, really give something to your people that are there that are going to enjoy it and remember you in the event. And if you buy over 100 items for your golf outing from Desert Fox Golf, they will give you $100 back. Super easy. Reach out to them at Desert Fox Golf. Check out everything they have at DesertFoxGolf.com. And you can get $100 back when you buy 100 Desert Fox items for your golf outing. Message them on Instagram. You can even shoot us a message as well, and we'll connect you with them. They're super great friends of us, and they want to give you $100 for buying 100 different items for your golf outing. Desert Fox Golf. Check them out. DesertFoxGolf.com. and welcome to Course of Life. We are proud to be presented by our friends at Desert Fox Golf and the Live Take app. I'm Michael, he's Alex, and this is part two of our Ireland Audio Diaries. Tourism Ireland and Golf Ireland had us out there for a full week, and uh, we took some... uh, Made sure to record our audio and our thoughts at the end of every day. Had some interviews out there as well throughout the course of the trip. And we're happy to bring all that to you now in part two. Last week, you heard us talk about Royal Dublin and the K-Club. This week, the European Club. Chat with Pat Ruddy, the infamous designer of that course. While we were at lunch with him, we were able to capture some of that conversation. We also had a day out in Southeast Ireland. We'll talk about the journey we had not playing golf and then finishing the day at Roslair and having a chat with the head pro there as well. Without delay, let's get into our thoughts at the end of Wednesday when we were wet and tired, but still had big smiles on our faces. All right, Alex, it's uh, 11 o'clock Wednesday night in Wexford. We are sitting in the hotel. Beautiful view looking out here. Looking at at it. Beautiful church, a harbor, fantastic evening. It's very dark right now, but yes, we can see most of it. Um, Today was a phenomenal Irish day. Yeah, it was the quintessential, that's the important word, it was the quintessential Irish Lynx golf experience. Not to say we didn't play amazing golf courses leading up to today's round, but today's round is the Lynx golf round that everyone dreams about having. It's the adversity, the wildness of the conditions, the randomness of nature, just all of that kind of summed up into one with today's mm-hmm. experience. If if Royal Dublin was maybe an introduction to Irish Lynx golf, it was a good one. Too. The European was the master class in Irish Lynx golf. It was because of its location. It quite literally sits right up against the Irish Sea and. It's, it's just a phenomenal setting that allowed for some amazing views throughout the day. It, it's a classic design um, built by a legend in the game who we'll get to in a moment. But it, it just, it really just oozed Lynx golf. Like you, you got the warm fuzzies as soon as you hit the first tee shot and you knew you were going to be in for like a, and it, it was a shared experience. It wasn't just two of us golfing. It was us like, can we make it through this round? Can we find a way to get this ball? 
in the hole 20 times, not 18. 20 times, that's right, because there were two extra par threes, yes. one on each nine. Um, because we got there and we kind of ran right out onto the course, I do need to point out the best decision that you made and that I then copied suit on was buying a very warm scully to wear for the entire round during it was maybe low 60s the whole day, rainy the whole day, and uh, maybe at least 10 mile per hour wind all day with gusts up to oh, more, yeah. 25 or 30 plus, especially when we're right on the Irish Sea for those three holes. Yes, you got to stay as dry as you can. I always just heard that, you know, the, the body heat temp gets released most through the head. Yeah. So as soon as I walked into that pro shop and I saw that those winter caps were positioned front and center, I immediately knew that's probably something I should get based on the conditions when we arrived. And, and people listening right now are saying it was in the 60s and you're yeah. wearing a yeah. winter cap. Necessary. Necessary. It was. And I, and I think and to give a taste when we talk about Patton a little bit, we'll talk more about the, the golf and the course. but. We were t chatting with Pat Ruddy, the man who designed the course before we went out there. And I asked him, Pat, what is your one piece of advice for us as we play the course today? And without missing a beat, he looked me in the face and went, go home. Go home, he said. Yeah. Go home in his wonderful accent as well, too. Uh, just a humbly amazing man. And that was, that was the precursor to what I knew was going to be a grind out there. We qu quickly learned about a hole and a half in. This wasn't going to be your average round of golf. Uh, keeping it low and under the hills, punch drivers, um, low running chip shots, finding spots in between bunkers just to keep your ball safe for, for a moment. Mm -hmm. Every little win was an adversity out there. I kept telling you, if you hit the ball and it went up in the air and you saw it land and it went a decent distance, that was a victory every single time. Yes, that's very true. Um, and it was... Certainly one where, yeah, just make contact. That was the rule the whole day was just make contact on the ball. That's the one tip. And I think yeah. this this was the the first time that I, I really experienced, and I don't know if you actually had or not, how much the wind can play a role on the green. Yeah. And how when we were putting into the wind, even though these greens were super true and super fast. Pure, by the way. Really, I, I, I strangely pure greens for yeah. where we were in the setting. Exactly. Um, you going into the wind, you had to hit it twice as hard and coming with the wind at your back, you needed to hit it a quarter of the strength you normally would. Yeah. We talk about, you know, like, oh, gusts or storm coming through Georgia or Texas or it's breezy today. Ain't got nothing to we, what we just saw today. The, the, the flat like, was flapping on all 18 greens and you had to, you had to pay attention to that. It mattered not only, like you said, for approach shots, drives, it mattered for putts as well. You, you, my factored in probably about 20 to 30% of my knowledge for each putt was based on how the wind was going. It's yeah. definitely was a factor. Yeah. And I'm going to correct you like you did for me on the course. 20 pins were bent over in the wind. That's right. Yeah. 20. Um, and you know, the whole, the whole field, of course, there was nothing flashy about it. It, it reminded me as a new Englander of an old ski resort where it was just like, <laughs> yes. it wasn't there to be showy or have all this newfangled technology. You go into the clubhouse, a bunch of guys there just sitting around and you're going out on the course. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. You're yeah. just so excited to be there and to be enjoying it with everybody. And that feeling, especially in the clubhouse, the same way I was walking out of the bathroom at one point and this group of guys came in and they were soaking wet from the round. 
but they just had the biggest smiles on their faces that they had been here and played eight, played 20 holes at the European club. Yeah. And the 19th hole just had this super relaxed vibe. There was, again, nothing flashy or nothing showy. Top, no. no bar, really. I mean, they had drinks for you, but they didn't have a bar. You just sit down at the table. They come and get you what you want or you order at the counter. And everything was just just fine. And, and it was all it was more about having that conversation. And we were able to sit for over an hour with Pat Ruddy and really learn about him and, and the course and everything Amazing else guy. he's done in the game. Um, and it was just phenomenal to hear these stories. Um, and we've we've taken a couple of tidbits of, of what we heard from him. We just want to share a little taste of the man, Pat Ruddy. It's amazing. You've got to keep going in the weather. Yep. I found alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, wasn't mm-hmm. it was invigorating. Yeah. Yep. We told the wind, bring it on. Yeah. 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 No, no, it's, it's, um, I played in all weathers and we had three days of snow here, four days, wow. about mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Oh my goodness. And uh, being a bit enthusiastic, I got my machine and I dug off snow off some of the fairways <laughs> and off the greens and that'll be known in the media. There was one golf course in Ireland open for a day. <laughs> and then woke up next morning and it snowed again. We tried to keep going. Huh? But it's a pretty good climate to have just four days of snow in, mm-hmm. in 30 years. Huh? Wow. Yeah. 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 You know, fairly benign, fairly benign place. It's not up in the hills over there. It'll be on the hills, yeah. It'll be on the hills. And it'll be down in the valleys. And then we get frosted in the winter. We get quite busy here in winter because the inland horses take some frost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the salt air, we get frost in January, but it'll be gone by um, oh, half nine in the morning. And with the two T's, they all go mad. Now, Pat, I have to ask you a question. Did I see palm trees out mm. On the course? Yeah. I thought I saw palm trees. Yeah. I find that kind of interesting. This is the sunny southeast. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. We are. It's like, those are palm trees. Over, over on the other side of the country mm-hmm. on the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And the wild Atlantic way, because the ocean is quite vigorous. But when it comes here over the country, over the hills and so on, um, it, it uh, has abated most times. Okay. And uh, we can look at the clouds coming at that hill over there and say, great, we're going to get rain. And then the clouds will turn up to Dublin instead. And we're literally praying here. The only time I pray, pray for rain. At the other side then, we're protected by Britain and France from mm-hmm. the stuff from that side. And sometimes it goes wrong like just now. Yeah. But overall, we have a very benign climate just here. Mm-hmm. It's um, a real blessing. And in the winter, as I say, by 9.30, we're on the way, and courses inland uh, get, get uh, bound. The frost doesn't clear that quick. And, uh, so overall, we're pretty good. It's, it's, uh, and it's nice. We go out and play, even if it's frosted sometimes. Uh, the ball fairly skips them on then, and especially at the greens, trying to chip. But that'd be only five days a year we play on something like that. Yeah. Um, how cold is it getting here? Um, oh, just enough to give us frost. I'm not a scientist on that. How Rural cold it gets peak 30, of winter here? 35, 36. See, I, I'm caught on centigrade and yeah. Fahrenheit. Zero. Zero centigrade would be about 32. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 
Chile in November. Yeah. November, December, January. Yeah. But our furze bushes, I've planted those, uh, I planted those uh, trees uh, deliberately. Because mm -hmm. I had them down in Kerry, which is a lovely benign place too. And planted them just to give the message. The weather is, the weather is okay here. Do you throw your plants in those? Yeah. Okay, so they're not, they obviously they're not natural. They are they natural, but not native to here. Right, but they... I'm trying to tease you, yeah. 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 Oh, no, see, it gives a signal. This is a nice place. It yeah, can grow right. these things. Yeah. Now, the pine trees, where do they come from? I don't know. Where would you have pine trees in America? Oh, in Michigan, we have a ton of pine trees. We have pine trees up in the East Coast. Yeah, yeah but it's God-fordation. In North Carolina. Our pine trees came from Pinehurst. Pinehurst. Oh, is that right? Yeah, some years ago I was over there. They'd opened a new Arnold Palmer place, stayed for a few days. And I got home and got a big box that size of pine cones. They're very nice, yeah. Sent on the cones. So 80 or 90% of our pines are from there. Oh, And they've got a nuisance, they're a nuisance thrown down cones and, and pine needles. Sorry, yeah. I set out to do a course on my own. Started off with the Tawson 54. In the 19, early 70s, I bought a piece of land down the west. Built a very nice nine-hole course with a nice river running through it and everything lovely. Got up one morning and the river didn't run through it anymore. It flooded it. You can only see the tops of the flags. There was a major lesson in drainage. One of the first things you want in a golf course. And then I bought a castle place uh, 80 miles away called Lochrin Castle. And uh, a bit hilly in places and a little bit drainage, like two, 250 of the 400 acres flooded under the Shannon, the biggest river in Ireland. Because I have a hydroelectric dam downstream and they wouldn't drop it. It dropped by one inch above 200 square miles of land would be released. But it wouldn't give you an inch. But I bought because I liked it and I liked the castle and I was able to do my printing works in the mm -hmm. castle sheds, which were beautiful. But I couldn't make it work uh, too well. And then I sat back and I said, my goodness, why am I trying to work in? Well, I knew the reason I was working inland was uh, I could buy cheaper ground, you know. And then um, I said, uh, I used to produce the yearbook for the Golfing Union of Ireland. And on the front cover, you had to put the picture of that year's championship venue. So there'd be no jealousy if you put a person's picture on it. And it came to the turn of Bally Bunyan, mm -hmm. and they had a very modest clubhouse at the time. So I said to the Godfrey Union, is it okay if I rent a helicopter at my own cost and go out and photograph an aerial shot of the links with the clubhouse in it? So they said yes. And that was the first time the penny dropped for me. I was born and reared on links. Now, why I was going inland, I did that, you see. So I rented a helicopter for two or three weekends and set off to survey the coastline where were there pieces of links not used for golf. So I left Dublin. I was paying for taking photographs and settlements. But I started off going up to Belfast, around the north, down the west, across the south. When I got 30 minutes from home here, I come out the door and turn south instead of north to home for lunch. 
as I got the piece of ground just here. Mm. I had to wait three years then for it to <coughs> come for sale. I was just lucky it came for sale. Mm-hmm. Poor man died. And then I had to add on two other pieces, so three purchases. But, um, but Lynx wow, is where I was that. reared. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. Very happy. But the, the, only, uh, the only thing that's bad is um, golf courses get better with age, but people go down. Hmm? If we go along together for a couple of hundred years, it'd be good. Hmm? That's the story of it. And um, But having been reared on links all my days, I wanted to be buried at Ross's Point, the County Stiver Golf Club. And uh, I wanted to, there's one hole, the tenth, and it goes down a valley towards mountains. And I wanted to leave them some money that could have a tomb. I'd be buried standing up with a little window, leave them somewhere to keep the window clean. And I'd better look out and see them go. Huh? Oh, and, um, so I'd maybe have to do it here instead. Yeah, having conversation with Pat's interesting. It's one of those shared experiences where you sit around with a man who is a living legend in the game that's been around it for going on eight decades now, has stories from back when our parents were kids, basically. He spent a life in the game, um, had interactions with every legend you can name. We can't even begin to list them all. He highlights it in his vast array of publications and books. He handed us one of them as well, too, a fascinating look into the European club links. And, and just hearing him talk, like, you don't get to sit in the presence of someone like that that has that life experience very often. So you take those moments in, you just listen intently, you smile, you laugh, and, and you just kind of take it all in. It's uh, definitely an experience that a golfer who hasn't played links golf needs to get on their bucket list is getting out to a venue like that. And just having that moment with it, with a guy who not only created the European club, but's built such a legend in the game as well. Yeah, I, I feel like as you know, this course has been ranked in the top 100 courses, two of the holes are the top 100 holes in the world. Um, after playing this, I feel like if you come to Ireland, you have to play this course. I asked this question as we were playing it. it it's like 300 euros around midweek in the season. I'd, I'd say it's worth it. Yeah, I think it is. And I, and I said, I think it is if you're making the trip, yeah. if you're making the trip and you want the best and you know, you know, you may not come here many times in your life. That's definitely one that's got to be on the list for that reason that, again, the, the uniqueness of that experience, it's, it starts with the drive out and pulling in and yeah. seeing the way everything is laid out. And then you throw yourself out of the holes by the sea. You get that vibe. And, and then the entire link experience, like you said. Holes 1 to 20, really special. Exactly. So that was a European club. We then drove the rest of the way down to Wexford, where we are now. We just had dinner at 10 West. Quaint little restaurant. Great food, though. It was nice because we've been on a big steak kick. Not that we don't love our steak. I mean, I'm a big fan of red meat, but after two days of it, I had to take a break. I think that's the quota, yeah. It's like three nights in a row, and that's probably a good time to switch up to seafood. So that's exactly what we did. Uh, great meal by the water as well, too. I, I'm just very impressed by the Irish level of hospitality as well. I know Irish people are in general very hospitable and very friendly, but it's it's actually like bordering on over the top. It's really it's really impressive from the restaurants, the golf clubs and everyone there, you know, it's just the going out of your way to make the experience special. Yeah, it's been an amazing trip here so far. You know, um, 
my wife and I have been talking about coming either to here or Scotland, maybe next year next or one, something. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking about we want to we want to come to Europe next year for a vacation. And where would we go? And Scotland and Ireland came up. And, you know, part of me before the trip was like, well, I would have already done Ireland. So maybe we'll do Scotland. But I would definitely come back here again and do almost everything we've done again. I don't know if my wife would want to deal with the golf and the conditions we played in today, but maybe she would. Definitely. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. Cause I was just talking with our host as well too. And like, we're only getting the tip of the iceberg right now. If, if you can believe that, you know, this is just the Southeast and the Dublin city area golf experience. But then you have the courses like Port Marnock, Port Rush, La Hink, Bally Bunyan. They're all over the, the, the nation. And there's several different ways that you can do it, but the bottom line is uh, they're all very unique tracks um, that you're certainly not going to see in the States. I can tell you that. True, indeed. That wraps three straight days of golf. We get a day off from golf tomorrow. We'll be exploring mm. the sites. We'll, we'll have an update on that, and then we'll finish out the week with Ross Lair on Friday. A um, lot of fun still. Yeah, I'm going to get my Anthony Bourdain on tomorrow, so I look forward to recapping that um, with you. And yeah, we got one more which I think could be pretty epic. I mean, we've already hit, I mean, if I had to fly home tomorrow morning, I would have a smile on my face ear to ear for months. And we've, we've already gotten the full Nelson. I think there's one more experience that's going to be pretty epic on Friday as well, too. Though. We'll enjoy that for sure. But for now, that's the end of day three here in Ireland. course of life is brought to you by the live take app it's where sports debates are solved once and for all you can drop your own live take on there about anything going on in the world of sports and let everyone on the app vote and decide if you're right or not you can challenge your friends or random strangers as well to have a live debate in the app it's what alex and i do every week there and let everyone on the app decide who is right. You can see whether people agree with you or not. You can challenge us, check out our challenges that we do there every week and see how we're doing. Follow us so you never miss that as well on the Live Take app. We're on there at Course of Life Alex and Course of Life Michael. Live Take, download it today on your app store. Let your take be heard. Alex, day four is in the books. And before we talk about what happened earlier in the day with our travels around all of Southeast Ireland, let's get your feelings right now. It's the end of day four and you finally have your luggage. It has arrived. You're wearing your own clothes for the first time all week. How does it feel? The national nightmare is over. Um, I learned today that there were a lot of greater struggles in humanity, definitely, than me missing my luggage and golf clubs for three and a half days. But for the purposes of this trip and how epic it was set up to be, it was a massive inconvenience not having my bags, not having my golf bag with all my clubs and all my accessories, my Desert Fox phone caddy, my range finder and everything I get by with on the golf course for years and decades of my life. That was very frustrating. But from it, there was a lot of hospitality, a lot of help along the way to keep me just sane enough and just patient enough to wait it out. And thankfully, yes, on the fourth day, uh, we've ended this tragedy by 
insanely getting a delivery to probably the most remote part of this entire trip, which was which I thought was the kind of funniest part of when this all got executed. We are about mm, 90 minutes or so south of Dublin, so yeah. they did bring bags down here finally after getting them. And the expectation now, I think, is for you to shoot at least a 95, if not higher, tomorrow. You'll be free swinging, and it's going to be horrendous. And then right. Your own clubs again. So I've done that John Daly swing a couple times, where people can check out on our socials for those swings that I did during certain points in our past outings, and on this trip as well. But I'm wondering how many times I'm going to do that tomorrow, just out of pure excitement. Uh, I've heard this course is epic in many different ways. That's all we really know. We're just going to set it up like that. But uh, it's going to be a very celebratory round just to have the sticks back in my hand. It'll just kind of feel nice and it's going to feel right. Um, I like the idea that I am going to get at least one round of golf in with these clubs. I was concerned that wasn't going to be an issue and that would have been tremendously awkward in the end. Yeah, it'll it'll be good for you. I'm happy we finally got this for you. Your reaction in the clubhouse was uh, or in the in the lobby of the hotel was particularly particularly exciting. You literally fell to your knees. Yeah, I risked a couple of diseases. So I probably am going to do one more shower tonight, which I wasn't thinking I was going to uh, just as a precaution. But I had to bear hug the luggage because I was thinking about those bags, Mike. You know, I don't I don't know how much time they spent in Chicago, but it was quite a journey for them. And I'm glad they made it. it was indeed. So let's talk about the day we had, though. We did go out and explore all of uh, three different places here in Southeast Ireland. No golf. No golf today. A little day off, a little calmer day. Uh, I think we needed it. I was starting to feel a little sore. I don't know about it. Yeah, we said uh, three rounds in three days. That's a lot for us. Yeah, I couldn't remember the last time we I did that, and I know you couldn't. So no. yeah, I, that was a good it. breaking point today, and I, and I am refreshed for one more go tomorrow. So we started the day in Dunwoody at a uh, famine ship, the the Dunwoody famine ship, uh, recreation of a ship that was used during the potato famine to transport Irish immigrants to Canada and the United States. Yeah, um, and this was one of the more uh, lenient maybe examples of a ship in the terms of how many passengers they did pack on. That was crazy. And how many actually did survive because a lot of these were known as coffin ships. You'd put 300 people on a ship and 150 or less would actually survive Half the journey that. across. Insane. This ship lost, what did they say, in, in its three or four years of service, it lost... Average eight or something like that? Yeah, eight a year. Uh, four voyages a year. It's just crazy. It was fascinating to see that replica and hear the stories. They had costume performers showing you the difference between the second class and the first class in the boat and how everything went down. It felt like a borderline jail um, for the, the emigrants at the time. And seeing that perspective of what things were like 180 years ago in the 1840s and how far we've come now, I had the little like, whoa, crazy man thought. I was like, wow, so what's this going to look like 180 years from now if we've come this far from what life was like in the 1840s of the potato famine era? Um, so it was just interesting to get that perspective and really brought it to life. Yeah. It was a crazy time in history. And and they pointed out to the whole, you know, this may seem really horrible, but they felt that they were escaping something far worse in Ireland and the potato famine and everything was happening there. And they were willing to put up with it for seven weeks on this ship to reach the United States. Uh, yeah. So 23 and a half hours of solid confinement down low. If basically. the weather was nice because you own 30 minutes a day up on deck. If the weather was good. What are your thoughts on the 30 minute uh, time period that the second class citizens on the ship had to bake a bread? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, you're not actually making bread in 30 <laughs> minutes. And, and that, you know, included, they got a, an okay amount of food, I guess, but the amount of potatoes, 
since they're baking, they're making potatoes while they're on there too, whether you're making bread or not, you could do more of the potato and you could cut it up real small and kind of get that cooked off for you pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but that yeah, was that's a fascinating start to the day. Not a lot of time. What was really fascinating too is that we got these fake tickets when we got on the boat that said the destination was Savannah. And there is a big Savannah connection between the Dunwoody famine ship and my town of Savannah, Georgia. And how many trips the ship made there and the immigrants that came over that the first voyage of the Dunwoody was to Savannah, Georgia as well after it was built and came over to Ireland. Um, And just really cool to hear about all these connections that are going on with where I now call home and uh, this part of Ireland. So that was that was pretty. Yeah, you got a little hometown connection that you weren't really expecting. there. Savannah and Wexford, Mike. That's the sleeper relationship, I would say, of this entire trip so far. And on the Hall of Fame, the the American Irish Hall of Fame was none other than President John Leahy, the former president of our alma mater, Quinnipiac University. That was a wild connection as well. Mike, are you going to be some sort of an ambassador for the Savannah-Wexford connection? That's going to be you. That's that's going to be the hope here is that we can leverage this into something great. Well, so that, we'll see I mean, what I'm happens. looking at, at a view right now that I think I think you could get used to if you're going to visit here more often, right? I mean, I think I could get used to being in Ireland a lot in general. After we left the Dunwoody Famine Ship, we went to Hook Lighthouse. This is a granddaddy of all lighthouses. Granddaddy of all lighthouses. Over 800 years old. It is the oldest continuously operating and standing lighthouse in the world. Crazy. Really cool views up there too. 117 steps to the top. Um, You saw parts of a few, maybe not really couldn't see all the way, but you could see amazing amounts of water. And just as far as the horizon goes, some really amazing uh, landscape views out there. Uh, And going up and getting the tour guide's perspective of the history of the lighthouse keepers that are not a lot around any longer due to technology, but telling their stories of the past and how this all came to be. It's fascinating looking at you know pieces of rock with slab and pieces of rock and thinking that those were made several hundred years ago and they're still standing today. Amazing structure. Yeah. It was it was really cool and it was literally on the tip of a peninsula on the southern part of the island here in Ireland. And like you said, the views were spectacular. Uh, crystal clear day. We were blessed with with great weather today. Yeah. Um, so we're able to really enjoy it. We then were able to head out to Johnstown Castle. That's right, yeah. Um, incredible old castle that they're in the process of restoring. I haven't been to make castles before. That was no, cool. I can't say I have either. <laughs> um, and this is from the, the 12th or 13th century. Nice. That's from when this was originally built. Added on a lot over the years, changed a lot over the years. Um, but we're able to explore inside the castle to a few rooms with a fantastic tour guide. We got to show us a lot of the space and and really see kind of what the different spaces were used for, what was original, what wasn't, and and kind of what the purpose was of some of these spaces. And, and it's the seven, the several hundred years of history that's been tripping me out from this day and this trip because where we are in America, we're not really going past anything that happened in like the 1700s in general conversation. Two, these 250 days. years thereabouts. So we're talking That's about it. We're you talking know, well more than that. It, you're hitting anything before the Revolutionary War is really not much on the table for us. But the Irish population and culture keeps alive history that is seven, eight coming on 900 years old um, from a pub in Dublin, the Brazen Head to the stories that we heard at Johnstown Castle today. It's just uh, it's a lot more perspective because of how far the world has come in that long a time. That indeed. We then finished up the day at a Green Acres here in Wexford Town, uh, lovely little restaurant with a which was great wine room, which included a forty five hundred 
Euro bottle of red wine. That's fascinating. That that, that was your he- first headline there. Yeah. I love that. That, that was, that's the first thing. I like that. That was a cool impression. Yeah, it was neat to see that in the front. Really great meat and seafood restaurant. Good vibe. Good drinks. Had a great mussels dish. Couldn't complain about that. That was an order I wouldn't normally get at a restaurant, but thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, can't complain. Green Acres, great spot. And this Wexford town is an interesting perspective as opposed to your typical city Ireland vacation. Again, we're an hour and a half below Dublin. This is a coastal town. It's a very small town. But if you are really looking for that real quintessential Ireland vibe, I think I would consider adding a place like this to your, to your repertoire as well. You know, this is a little more low-key than Dublin, a little slower. The, the real Ireland? like Maybe, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Going to New Hampshire, Vermont, Mountain House instead of staying in Boston for a weekend. Like yep. I'm equating yep. it to that. You know yep. what I, mean? I think that's not a bad comparison to have there. Yeah. This feels like to me also I'm going to make a comparison like I'm going to make a Savannah connection. Like Savannah over Charleston. Charleston's bigger, it's posher, it's more expensive. It's just, it's a little busier. This feels quieter. They both have their chill. up and downs, but I think that change of pace is important when you go on a vacation like this. You want to have a couple different locales and not just get fixated on one place because there's just so much to see in all these countries. That, that's the one thing I'm, I'm learning. Also had the opportunity when we were at dinner, we were joined by Tiernan from Club Choice Ireland that puts together golf vacations oh, yeah. that was cool. uh, for people. I was able to sit next to him and listen to a lot of what he does there where they'll really have conversations with people about their game, what they want to do, their price range, how long they want to do, and they put together groups of golfers and have them go out and really kind of put it all together. Similar to what we're doing uh, in the sense where everything's kind of like they tell you where to go and what to do and you do it. Um, And he seemed to really have great knowledge of the area and the courses. And again, that Irish hospitality just leaking through in every way. Yeah, and there's all different corners you can hit in Ireland depending on what type of vacation you want to do and how much golf you want to mix in with it. The nice part is each kind of quadrant of Ireland seems to have a good batch of like eight to 10 really good golf courses. It doesn't seem like you can really go wrong no matter what corner you hit. We've kind of hit about two of six, I would say maybe, Yep. Uh, in terms of the topography. But uh, yeah, it was really cool to hear Tieran's perspective. And you guys were having some great conversation about the game of golf as well. Too. Yeah, we were, we were having some talks about um, also, how to improve the game for women. There was a good talk we were having amongst all of us on our side of the table about yeah. um, how to how to change courses and the perspective of players and the and the and the members and clubs to get more women into the game, yeah, cool and how that. that can also help, I think, grow the game for players that aren't as good a player like me, maybe, and kind of make the experience better for all of us. Hey, you're getting there. You've had some impressive strings. Maybe tomorrow's the impressive round. You've had some impressive strings within your rounds yeah. this week. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, we started touching, we started getting it right at the European club. It's about making contact, maybe slowing that swing down a little bit, trying not to rush things. Don't force it. Just put the club head on the ball. I'm, I'm hearing wind tomorrow. We don't know exactly how windy it's going to be. We experienced pretty windy conditions on Wednesday's round at the European club. So I'll have to see what it looks like. I know the location of this course, Ross Lair, that we'll be talking about tomorrow is going to be another very unique destination. It's quite literally on the, on the tip of the, the southeastern part of the island. So I'm, I'm thrilled with the experience. Already. I can't wait to finish out this week. It's been amazing already. If this is only half as good as the other courses we've played, it's still going to be spectacular. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay, Alex, we're now back in Dublin. We have finished day five of this epic week here in Ireland. 
We uh, let's talk about the day. We were still down this morning in Wexford. We went to Ros Lair. All the way on the southeastern tip of Ireland. Literally as far on the down tip. as possible. Pretty much. Pretty much is where we went. And this was this course when we rolled up to it, it felt like almost like a nice Muni. Yeah, like your local neighborhood city course that you see in the suburb of any metropolitan. It was a very, a very um, inauspicious welcome, not a overly, you know, exaggerated practice facility or first tee pull up understated, but you could tell it was heading directly out to the water because of where it's located on that strand of island, Rosslair. Uh, so we knew there was going to be something unique about it once we got out there. That was. And uh, so we were able to go out and play 18 holes there with uh, first few holes right along the water. First tee took you straight to the sea and then you turned and followed the beach almost the entire way out. Yeah. And for those first few holes, it was windy. Of course, it was of course in beautiful shape. Great course. And then we turned around mm. and for about eight, nine holes had a wind in our faces that was a two club wind. Yeah. So what happened was interesting because we played some Lynx golf and we'd gotten what we thought was the full Lynx experience. But the physical definition and the word breakdown of Lynx is that the courses typically in the old, old days had nine holes going out in one direction and nine holes coming back. We hadn't quite seen that exactly to a T. Every course we played this week, it had some sort of zigzag or change in wind to it. This was very direct. The moment you turned around to the back nine, it was a decisively different and harder course. And it, it immediately showed in our scores and play. Uh, we just started blowing up left and right in, in the midst of a fun match we were having to. Yeah, this was, uh, in a, you know, you were hitting... 150 yard three woods. Yes, I was w with power too. With power, we're trying to hit them with power. Uh, it was it was an impressive win. And what <laughs> yeah. we what we found out too, we'll say, is that uh, this was a light day on the wind front for them. That's that's insane. To me. We'll we'll talk about that more. I thought we were getting BS on that, but we weren't. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the match we had because we decided to do match play between the two of us. You gave me a stroke a hole. I had a great start. I went two up early yep. on you, uh, and then I fell apart. You surged. You got to a point of being two up, and then you were, you were two up, and I, I hit my lowest low. I had a hole where it took me uh, two shots to get out of a bunker, and I had already flubbed my drive. Yep. Before that, I just picked up and Classic conceded Lynx the Classic Lynx golf win right there. It was, yeah. it was rough. And, of course, and one there. I was just about ready to concede the whole match at that point. Right. Um, and then you fumbled. Because the tall grass got me. And, and once you're snarled in there and you've got a ball that's a foot above your feet and you're in a foot of grass, it, it just doesn't work. There's just not a recovery shot to hit. And it's an immediate six or seven. It's just immediate. I, again, there was that point in the match where I felt like my bogey and your double, you know, playing a shot difference a hole. That was like, I, I was hoping and thinking that'd be good enough to win a hole. It, it felt like those scores were good enough. That's how difficult it was getting yep. at a certain point. Um, so you True went you, within three holes of thinking that this match was over. We were all square. Yeah. I had a great par three that got me back to, to I think got us to that all square spot. And then we just kept going all square through those last three holes and 18, which turns around thankfully and gets the wind at your back. Get one break there. You get a little bit of a break and, um, Great, great par five finishing hole, I it feel was. like. Yeah, I made a solid five. I mean, you worked for the six in the end there. It got a little nervy in the end. It was just pretty much a, a handshake draw right there. Uh, but 
overall, our play was definitely subpar. The course won the day. It's nothing against Rosslayer because the venue itself is fantastic. It's got ocean, sea views everywhere you look. It's in phenomenal shape, but it's just a tricker. It's a tricker of a golf course. It sneaks up and gets you. It's so unassuming when you tee off in the first hole. You think you're under the protection of maybe some trees. That's not the case at all when you get out there. There was a 251-yard par four, which I think we both oh, could uh, not yeah. reach well, that, the that green. That was a five-sixer, I think, right yeah. there. And I mean, you know, those humpback greens are like Donald Ross courses. Right. A lot of American golf audiences know and fans know out there is if you don't hit it, you know, kind of stop it within five, ten feet of the flag, it's subject to roll off any side it wants to. But the golf ball was doing crazy things for us today. So in the end, it's kind of one of those things where it's funny that this is the final round because that's definitely one of those make you want to come back for more type of rounds because it's like, wow, I thought I was learning something about this Lynx golf experience and how to work my ball. And then there was this whole other test that hit us <laughs> right in the face and reminded us that, no, the, the course does win. The course wins in the end. It's true. More often than not. It does. And we were also able to talk with Jamie O'Sullivan yep. uh, after the Head round. Rossler. Uh, and kind of gets a little bit more insight on the course and what we were dealing with during the day. And uh, he gave us some great insight on the whole round. Yeah, we're in the, the sunny southeast of Ireland. Um, it's a little uh, inlet uh, jutting out into the, um, into the sea. Uh, it's the warmest bit of land and the driest in the country. We do get a lot of wind here, being a Lynx golf course. Uh, we have 30 holes of beautiful Lynx golf here. Um, it's quite a flat tight links but it's very very challenging especially when the wind blows definitely it is we saw all the wind blowing but from what i understand this was just a prevailing wind today so explain how the wind acts on a day-to-day -day basis on this course because the prevailing wind to us felt like a tornado but it sounded like it was very normal to the members we spoke with this is um that's a two club wind today i'd say but yeah. it can play anything up to a four or five club wind it's quite a warm breeze as well today um it's coming from the southwest when the easterly wind blows it can be quite cold and all of a sudden the golf course plays even longer than it did today. Um, today it was behind you for, for the front nine mm. and it was um, into it for the back nine. So we have seven holes out and the rest are back. So the easterly wind, believe it or not, is when it blows across the golf course. Right. So it's actually not with you at all. It's, it's kind of you're fighting it right or left all day. And <laughs> yep, that's a we're very, fighting, very tough that's for one. sure. Yeah. yeah, and like that's what makes any good links um, a real, real challenge. You know, it could be a driving a wedge today. Tomorrow it's two woods and you're not even getting home, you know. Um, and the course is playing really well at the moment. Uh, we have a great um, ground staff and they do fantastic work. So the place is in really good condition. It is. Yeah, yeah we noticed the condition definitely. The greens are phenomenal. Um, let's, talk, let's talk about the business of golf in Ireland because obviously Ireland is a gigantic golf destination. But um, what's the best and the most popular feedback you hear from people who come to Rossler for the first time and experience this unique location? I think they enjoy um, a couple of things. One is the beauty of Rosslare. It's a, it's a lovely little um, seaside side village. Um, it's, a, it's a resort. Um, it's a very friendly place. Everyone's holidays here, so it's in, everyone's in good spirits. Um, the golf course is beautiful. Um, the, the peninsula, um, you know, the beach is on all three sides of it, really. And uh, it's, it, on a glorious sunny day, it's no better place to be. Uh, and the golf course is a challenge, but it's fair at the same time. You know, it's not going to eat you up. It's quite a flat links in comparison to some on the on the west coast. Right. But it is, you know, the, when the 
the, the wind laws is a great test. Yeah, there's yeah. beautiful vistas of the sea. You get houses along the property, which gives it an like, interesting little tropical vibe as well, too. Mm. Um, I'm curious, uh, what's your favorite nook or cranny or corner of the course? Uh, maybe the most photo-worthy place that you enjoy most about seeing every day here. I love uh, when I come in in the morning, and I'm generally the first one here in the car park, yeah. and generally the sun is just coming up, and over the 16th green, the sun is shining, and I'm the only one here, and it's a little piece of beauty. Uh, my favourite place in the whole property is down the end of the peninsula. We have two golf courses here. Yeah. Twelve Hole is our the sister borough course. Short the borough short course, right? Yeah. And I often love to go down there in the evening and play nine or twelve holes. And down the far side of that is the most peaceful, tranquil part of the course. It's a great way for me to just unwind and de-stress in the evening. Yeah. And um, it's just a lovely part of the world. Yeah, I appreciate the 12-4 cold course. It's a great way to introduce newcomers to the game as well who don't maybe want to try the 18 yet or looking for a quicker experience. As yeah, well. and it's it was built by um, the golf club with Christy O'Connor Jr. Um, designing yeah. it. And it actually has some of the best green surrounds of any Lynx golf I've played. Um, every green is a bit of an upturned saucer with fantastic roll-off areas. Uh, so you think you hit a fantastic shot and all of a sudden you look up and it's 30 feet to the right or left. Upturned saucer, yep. Yeah. I, I experienced that a few times. Yeah, I know yeah. what you mean by that. And there's actually no bunkers on the 12 hole, which is, uh, it, it doesn't need them really. But mm. as you say, for people who are starting golf, maybe the um, the, the scariness of a bunker doesn't affect them. Um, but it, it's a beautiful 12 hole, proper um, length and everything, you know? Yeah, so, it looked beautiful. We yeah. saw a couple of tees. Um, we'll definitely get to play the 12 hole course the next time we come back here. Good. But the one thing that we did get is our most important hole today, which is the 19th hole at Ross Lair. Absolutely. So I got to ask you our 19th hole question. Yeah. What's your favorite meal and drink to order when you get in after a long day at the clubhouse here? Love a good pint of Guinness. Yep. Yeah. Uh, even though um, I drink mostly coffee inside there, but a good pint of Guinness is always good. And they do, um, yeah, the fish and chips is always good because it's very, very, it's locally sourced. Mm, locally sourced fish. Yeah, Love that. I, I like that. The fish and Wexford here is phenomenal. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks again for being a great host. The club was phenomenal. Uh, looking forward to coming back again I'm as well. Glad you enjoyed your day. Welcome back. Jamie's 19th hole meal finally gave us a Guinness. First one this week. Everyone else was saying Heineken. So we finally got to see some Guinness on the table. And a fish and chips as well. It was a very like on brand, I'm going to Ireland, what do I need to consume type of 19th hole meal. And we enjoyed our experience in the 19th hole at Ross Lair. Um, so again, full content there is at COL Podcast and our Instagrams, which you can find on that pit feed as well too. We're going to post a bunch from all of those experiences separately, give you the reviews and the lowdown and everything. But uh, yeah, that was a great closing taste. You know, it ended with the full drive back up the coast to kind of see the totality of the journey where we started in Dublin. And now we're back here now as we, we head on our way tomorrow. But uh, overall, I mean, the experiences, everything could have asked for more. I had the the urgency of the losing the luggage in the club clubs that got fixed last night, which was a big relief. So it made the last last round and day a lot more enjoyable for everyone, especially myself. And couldn't couldn't be any more pleased with the trip. I mean, this was uh, an incredible opportunity. La Tourism Ireland was able to to invite us on to come out, and we spent a great week with some other media from the United States, and really being taken care of incredibly well by them and all the courses that we visited. Um, let's do let's do a real fast recap on okay, the week. Yeah, let's let's just something. say let's give me give me your best course. What was your favorite course of the week? Mm, best course, just best experience was that European club. Yes. I think we both played decently. We had our moments. It was the adverse conditions multiplied by the quality of the course and the 19th hole experience with Pat Ruddy. That that had to be the favorite for me. Yeah, I agree. The European course was kind of 
the course itself was the quintessential what you have in your head when you think of a Lynx golf course. And and it's amazing how spoiled we sound right now because we also played two other phenomenal yeah, Lynx courses really in a Ryder Cup course. Yes. And we are putting the European club above it. This, that shows you how amazing the whole experience is. It, it really was just a spectacular venue. Uh, 19th hole. Mm. So favorite course, which which 19th hole between the four we visited do you think had the best? So the nicest view was the Royal Dublin 19th hole. Yes. Full panorama glass doors, really cool vibe, tribute to Christy O'Connor and Irish golf there. I appreciated that for the view, but I really loved the panache at the K-Club. The Snack Shack video I posted uh, and the food presentation there was very nice. So I'm going to give them an honorable mention because I think that Irish Open, like we mentioned earlier, is going to have some really cool concessions. I hope they just highlight that a little bit during tournament week coverage. That'll, that'll give me all the, the warm feelings for K-Club. I, I agree that Royal Dublin had the best view. Might have had some of the best food of the week as well. We had two meals there, lunch and That's dinner right. yeah, in there. A long week. Uh, but I, I feel like for vibes for me, and I've said this a couple times, I said it Wednesday night when we recapped the European club. It's the vibe there that it was like we were there for the golf. Everyone was having a great time, even though the conditions were horrible. It had that New England ski lodge feel to it, that old lodge. You appreciated that. Yeah. I just, it just felt, Down it homey. felt very homey. It wasn't trying to be more than it was. It knew it was there for the golf, and we didn't try to shout too loud about that either. Uh, it was just, just a great vibe to me throughout it. Definitely. Yeah, no, cool experience. Uh, and the final question for you yep. on the week is, which was the best restaurant we went to for dinner? We hit four great ones. We had Old Street Restaurant tonight. Uh, which was another fantastic place. So between the four places we went to over the course of this hmm. week. Well, we went to Fire 1864 in Dublin, which is probably the most unique venue restaurant, coolest experience in terms of dining venue. The best food I had was Muscles Thermidor at Green Acres in Wexford Town. That Wexford Town experience was phenomenal. That was that small town vibe that it's hard to recreate in a typical urban city type of venture wherever you go in Europe. So. I appreciated those meals the most. Tried to mix it up with the orders, mix it up with the cocktails, got some Irish whiskey, had my fair share of Guinness. So I felt like I embodied the food and drink experience as much as I could. How do you think I did? I think so too. I mean, I think I never really <laughs> recognized maybe how big beef was here in Ireland. Yeah, beef. Big uh, sleep. I've had a lot of steak this week. Um, I think fire had tough life. I've had, I mean, uh, definitely need to start a diet on Sunday yeah. once we're back home. Uh, but I think fire was just a very unique experience. Um, and the, the food was great. Service was fantastic was up and down. It was, it was pretty incredible kind of really special restaurant to go to for me. The, the food experience was amazing. Let's give one neg to Ireland. They must have a hard time finding heads of lettuce. Yeah, I was I was by about Wednesday afternoon. I was like, I, I just want a salad. I just really want a salad. <laughs> that might be a very American comment. There could be a lot of people laughing at us right Maybe. now. Um, but that was our experience regardless. Yeah, we enjoyed every single meal here. Uh, really phenomenal stuff. Food drink wise. It really was uh, fantastic. All right, that's a wrap on the Ireland trip audio diary. Amazing stuff from the entire week. Michael, thanks for being there for it all. Another experience in the books. There'll be many more to come. I can't wait for the next one. It's going to be great. Stuff. Yeah, awesome. For Alex again, I'm my, uh, Alex, Michael, Course of Life. You know the drill. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week.